This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brat. Hey there, welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat. You know, in our hyper-connected, social media-saturated society, many of us, especially young people, are so obsessed with snapping selfies and living a virtual life online that we're forgetting how to care for the people right in front of us, IRL, which stands for in real life. The resulting selfie syndrome is leading to an empathy crisis among today's youth. Teens today are 40% less empathetic than they were just a generation ago, and narcissism has increased 58% during the same period. But there's a solution. Studies are showing now that the antidote to selfie syndrome is empathy. And the good news is that empathy can actually be cultivated in children starting even before they can talk. In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking with esteemed educator Michelle Borba. She has got new, compelling research that explains how to impart this key skill to kids, whether it's teaching toddlers how to comfort one another or giving teens the tools to stand up to bullying, and why empathy paves the way for future happiness and success. Caring about others isn't just about playing nice. It's a skill that's vital for children's mental health, leadership skills, and continued well-being today and tomorrow. I'm Armin Brott. We will start talking about how to give our kids an empathy advantage when Positive Parenting continues right after this. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brat, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. I'm in almost every school bus in classroom. You see me around the neighborhood, and you tell me that I'm a pretty good kid. Well, I'm one out of every five children in America, and I'm struggling with hunger. Please visit feedingamerica.org today and find your local food bank for ways to help. Every dollar you donate helps provide eight meals for kids like me. We are Feeding America, brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! (gasps) It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, and my guest for this part of today's show is Michelle Borba, who is the author of many books, including the most recent one, Unselfie, Why Empathetic Kids Succeed in Our All-About-Me World. Michelle, thanks for joining us. Oh, you're so welcome. Oh, welcome Glad back. to be back. Yeah, absolutely. Let, let's talk about empathy, I think. Obviously, we're going to be talking about that for the whole show here, but how, do you, how are you defining empathy? Because I think it's, oh. it's a very, very broad word. Yeah, and I and too often it's it's mixed up with the word sympathy. So sympathy is feeling for someone. Empathy is miraculously glorious because it's feeling with someone. And when you feel with someone, this is the trait that activates our kids' hearts. So you're more likely to step in, be morally courageous, help another person, use pro-social behaviors, 
and that's why it's so incredible. And the, the other thing that's wonderful about it is that we now know from the last latest science is that our heart, children are already hardwired at birth for it, but it must be nurtured. Yeah, I remember there were some really fantastic studies. I think it was about nine-month-old kids who yeah. tried to help somebody who dropped a pencil. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, but and it, I guess it takes a special kind of researcher to say, oh, okay, let's call that empathy, though. I mean, is that really empathy, or is that just... It's the seeds. You know. It's planting the seeds of it. It's going to take a little bit longer for a child actually to be able to say, oh, I know how she feels, and I feel the same way. But what we know is there's almost like a trajectory or little stepping stones along the way, and the first step is actually emotional contagion, which is really amazing at three days of age, where they've put recorders in newborn nurseries, yeah. had the baby... Uh, you, record the baby crying, and then they put a recorder in the little guy two doors down in the other crib. But when they put that recorder inside the baby, he wails. He wails. But then he, you put your own baby's cry in, and he doesn't cry. So there's something that's just wonderfully going on there. And the real lucky thing is that researchers have become very crafty at figuring out how to analyze even our youngest one's little heart muscles. So if we're born with the seeds of it, yes. clearly it doesn't develop in all of us at the same pace. Yes. Uh, so, it, I mean, it's, is it an on-the-job training kind of thing? Yes, and that's the piece that I think is the real takeaway. I got interested in this topic and wrote on Selfie because I looked at one piece of research that was scathing, and it says that in just in the last 30 years, we've had a 40% drop in empathy amongst incoming college freshmen, and at the same time, a 58% increase. And that is across the board from zip code to zip code. It's the same uh, researcher who has been analyzing kids, incoming college freshmen, giving the same inventory, and then watch this drop. So we do know, though you're hardwired for it, unless we as parents deliberately nurture it, it will lie dormant. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of kids are in sleep mode. The other thing what we're noticing is today's culture is not one that's real conducive to raising a caring kid. When yeah. you have uh, role models that you need and used to be just... Ten years ago, our children wanted to grow up and be a leader or a teacher or a doctor in the helping profession. The number one thing they now want to be is rich or famous. <laughs> so there's a switch that's happening. Celebrityism yeah. is doing one part of it. Quick fix discipline is doing another piece of it. Uh, NYU Martin Hoffman's incredible work said the best kind of discipline isn't the quick fix timeout, but it's the five minutes afterwards. So what did you do wrong? I want you to know I am disappointed in you because I see you as a caring person. So what are we going to do next time? It's those just that minute afterwards wow. and in, called inductive discipline that is enormously powerful on stretching kids' empathy. But you just made reference to one word, which I think puts the, the death to the whole thing for a lot of people, which is disappointed. You don't want to tell your kids that you're disappointed yes. because of where we think that's all going with self-esteem yes. and all that stuff, which is something that we as parents have got to get out of our heads, yes. that it's okay to be disappointed. I mean, you don't want to shame your kids, but it's okay for them to feel that they haven't lived up to expectations. Yes. Apparently, I'm so glad you brought that up, because shaming is the worst thing. That actually reduces empathy. They've really got this down of what works and what doesn't. But 
but telling your child, I'm disappointed in not you, but in your behavior because, and then telling him, I expect you to be caring. Oh, I know you're a caring person. So how are you going to redo that? Really helps the child internalize your values of caring. The other thing we do wrong is our messages. Uh, Harvard did a phenomenal study. 20,000 parents and teens, this was last year, asking kids and parents how important are grades and how important is it to be caring. Even though parents said it's really important, I want my child to be caring. Kids said by far, 80% of them said the only thing my parent wants is me to get good grades. How important is it you to care? Only about 20% of the kids said it. So it means we're not intentional enough with our messages. First tip on that one is feel free when your little guy comes home to say how was school and how hard did you work, but also said, so what nice things did you do or what caring thing did you see? Because those messages after a while build up and so the child begins to realize what matters to mommy or daddy. So how do you get these kids, though, to eventually get to a point where they're on autopilot and they, they're looking for these messages and looking for these these opportunities in their day-to-day life without us having to point them out and without us having to tell them what to do? I mean, that's that's the whole, it seems to me, to be the purpose of parenting in general is to get your yes. kids at some point to be, yes. to be able to make good decisions. Yes. I love that because that's the whole point is for the kid to be able to thrive someday without us. What I discovered is that empathy actually, there's nine different habits that kids need in order to finally be able to reach in, live well, and be morally courageous so they do stand up to others. The second habit is called moral identity, and it came out of a fascinating Stanford study. We've been hearing so much about how our messages help in help our children develop grit and perseverance. So we tell them all, let's, let's make sure that we emphasize effort, effort, and not what you get. But the same person who did that research now says we also need to develop caring mindsets in our children. And one way to do that is the discipline. I expect you to do this because this is the kind of person you are, so the child internalizes it. Another one you can do is actually developing a family mission statement. Here's what we stand for in this house. Here's who we are. And if you say it loud enough and over enough and it's sticky enough, it actually becomes internalized. I I interviewed hundreds of kids when I was writing this book, and the fascinating thing is when I asked kids who I thought were real change makers, just just ordinary kids who were really doing some extraordinary caring things out in the world. How'd you get that way was a big question. And they said it was because of how my mom or dad raised me. They kept saying, we're the caring Perlins, or in this family, we help, not hurt. Uh, One girl said that the one thing that when she went away to college that she had to take as her grandmother needle-pointed her a pillow of just their family mission statement. Hmm. And I thought, oh, how simple is that? But moral identity is one piece of it because you get to have heart, but you also need a moral rudder to guide you to do the right thing. You know, but I can hear the eye rolling from, from here. You know, that get a lot of kids, I guess it would depend on when you start this, but I think if, yeah. you, if you have teenagers and you start this right now, yep. it's, you've got a tough road to you do have it. Well, the first thing is we wait too late to have all those important talks. So if there's any yeah. words of wise, start early. But the other thing that was fascinating is I had an incredible U.S. Air Force cadet ask me the question of my life and was, How do you become moral? I'm going to go out and lead troops, he said, and I want to become, I'll never forget his words, an ethical warrior and do what's right for them, not just me. So 
Dr. Borba, what would Nelson Mandela and Mother Teresa do, or Abraham Lincoln? And I thought, my gosh, nobody has ever asked me that. I read the memoirs of 50 Nobel Peace Prize winners, and one of the things they all did was memorize key passages. Like Abraham Lincoln would memorize Shakespearean passages that resonated with his morality, and it got him through the Civil War. So I saw a high school do that, and what they did for teens is they gave each one of them for the whole senior year a journal. Write down a quote if it resonates with you. If your grandfather, your mother, or somebody says something that you think really means something to you, write it down. These kids would show it to me about right now when graduation comes out. And the fascinating thing is a lot, one child, it was all quotes from his grandfather. He says, I never used to tune into what he said, but all of a sudden when my teacher said, write the stuff down, I began to go, wow, he's really saying some good stuff and it's helping me live better. So I thought, what a great idea that is. Uh, some parents do that at nighttime. They just find quotes to just talk hmm. about. Or yeah. another one, Armin, I think is so important, is to share with your kids good news. It's always in the back page of the newspaper, but what's shutting our children's empathy down, our compassion fatigue, is they're only seeing the bad stuff in the world. Talking to Michelle Borbo, who's the author of Unselfie, Why Empathetic Kids Succeed in Our All About Me World. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll keep talking to Michelle. Ever notice when you have a baby, everyone seems to give you advice? From your mother-in-law, don't you know you can't take that baby out in the rain today? And where is her hat? To your own parents. You should take the baby outside every day, even in the rain. To your friends. You have got to get this diaper cream. It is so much better than the one you've been using. When it comes to the important stuff, like immunizations and protecting my baby's health, I trust my baby's doctor. She really listens to my questions about shots. She gives me great information, and she works with me to make sure my baby gets protected. And that's something even my mother-in-law can agree with. Honey, I totally support you getting the baby vaccinated. But really, shouldn't you put the baby's hat back on? A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. It kind of freaks me out that some people actually go through their trash to pull out recyclables. That's not for me. Maria Inez Phillips talks about not recycling. I've got too many newspapers and magazines and catalogs in there with plastic containers and bottles and cans. In your recycling bin? No, in my trash. Your trash can is full of recyclables? No, it's full of trash. You say trash, Maria. I say rubbish. Whatever it is, I'm not going through it. I don't even know what they do with recyclables. They make more of the things you use, Maria. More newspapers, more bottles and cans. Out of a bunch of trash? I just don't get it. Some things are very obvious, Maria. Recycling creates jobs and protects the environment. Is that important to you? It is, which is why I put my trash where it belongs. Learn the difference between trash and recycling and more on our website, yougottobekidding.org. I put out way too much trash to think about recycling. See why recycling is not rubbish. Visit yougottobekidding.org today. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat. If you're just joining us, talking with Michelle Borba, who's the author of Unselfie, Why Empathetic Kids Succeed in Our All About Me World. What, Michelle, is the difference in your view between empathy and compassion? Ah, good question. Empathy to me comes before compassion. Compassion is the action. So and it's actually a little more soft because empathy, we now know, is the real activator that's going to lead to compassion and lead to caring, but you first have to have that moment that is, 
oh, my gosh, she feels really sad. Oh, I felt that way once. Oh, what can I do to help? And it, it continues to lead through. The majority of researchers are now saying that the real seeds for caring, compassion, and all those glorious heart things that we want our kids to do start with empathy. But empathy needs not only moral identity, but habits to help instill it, like practicing kindness is one thing. So the more you practice it, the more you come it, and then you begin to see how much it's a worthwhile trait, but it also you see yourself as somebody who can do it. We just, I think what we've mm -hmm. done is we've narrowed our view of success so much as a GPA or an SAT score that all that stuff on the other side of the report card, people skills, ability to get along with others that employers are actually says it's going to give your kid the economic edge and the employment boost, yeah. are, are taking a downward slide here. So it doesn't mean you have to stop doing what you're doing, but we got to make room for this thing called empathy because not only is it tanking in our kids, most of them seven and a half hours a day are plugged into some kind of a digital device. You don't learn empathy facing a screen. Yeah. You only learn it by facing another human being. It's face-to-face -face connection that I really worry about. Uh, and the Internet's here to stay, and yeah, there's good no, parts there's... to it all. But it just means let's weave it in so we have this thing called conversations with our <laughs> children and face-to-face -face eye contact because then they can tune in and see, oh, she looks upset or he looks sad. You yeah. need emotional literacy to be able to read somebody else's feelings as well. So you're talking about empathy. We're talking about compassion. And talking about it is fine and dandy, and having a family mission statement is all fine and dandy. But I would imagine you get a lot of pushback on this from parents who say, look, me and my wife, we're, we're both working full-time jobs. We haven't got time to, to volunteer, or we haven't got time to you know, go to Costa Rica and build houses, you know, or whatever mm -hmm. people do to, to be good-hearted, or even to go down to a local soup kitchen and serve meals on, on a Friday afternoon or something. We can't do that. So, I mean, kids are going to be able to see through this Let's talk about being the the caring brats, but show me. I mean, you know, so much of parenting is about showing a being a good example, yes. right? So if you don't have time, and I'm sure that that a lot of people are saying, "Oh, yeah, great idea, Borba," but you know, come on. The fascinating thing is, I've never seen anything resonate more with a parent. I've been doing speeches all over the country, and I just did a TED talk this week that was called "Empathy is a Verb." The big other mistake I'm seeing is that exactly what you said. But we, we're talking about it at 6 o'clock. It's not a lecture or in school. It's not a worksheet. It's got to be real, meaningful activities, and it's got to be driven by your child. So the first thing you can do to start boosting your child's empathy, Unselfie has over 500 activities. Choose any of them. But figure out what's going to work for you. You just realize that the best way for kids to learn empathy is by seeing it. Model it yourself. If your child were to describe you, how what virtues would come up with you, and that's a key. Uh, fascinating thing is they looked at the most altruistic individuals, and every one of them, all the rescuers from World War II, from the rescued perfect strangers from the Holocaust, they're interviewing the surviving rescuers, and there's quite a number of them. And everyone on the top, they always said it was how I, how I was raised. It was because my mother was caring and expected me to be so myself. Number two, everything we're already doing with our children. Chapter four is all about the power of emotionally charged books. Charlotte's Web, Stone Fox, those ones you need, you know, Kleenex to get through. The new research says they're emotionally impactful to a child. And what will actually happen is the part of the child's brain where perspective taking comes through, if they're reading those kinds of 
It's called literary fiction. It actually charges the child's brain. Hmm. So read them. Step into the shoes. Some parents are doing Saturday. You're already watching a film. Just do okay. Watch a film together, but make sure it's an emotionally charged film. Like Dumbo, how would you feel if that happened? Do you get in the shoes of Dumbo? How are you feeling? It doesn't have to be difficult, and it doesn't have to be long. It needs to be regular and just intentional, and you'll find dozens of ways to weave it in as soon as you realize why empathy matters and simple ways that you can just tune it up. You know, I just saw a movie which I could have sworn was about an hour and a half long. Turns out it was about twenty minutes long, and it was at my my parents live in a retirement community in California. Uh-huh. We happened to my, I took my thirteen year old daughter out there to visit my parents, and they were showing a, a short movie about the Sugihara family. And Sugihara probably nobody knows that, but he was a consul general in uh, Romania in during World War Two, and there were the the Jews from Poland were fleeing Poland, and they, a lot of them ended up at this consulate. And so this guy, over the course of a couple of months, oh. did th- he wrote thousands, I mean literally thousands by hand in Japanese, yes. of exit visas. Yes. And he completely ruined his career. I mean, he was, he was fired, he was pilloried, he was, spent some time in a, in a camp because he had done these things that his uh, employers told him not to do. But he, uh, so there, there was somebody in the, in the crowd there, um, my parents' age, who actually knew this gentleman and his wife, and they said that never, they never had any regrets at all, that it was always, they always felt kind of exactly what you said, which was, we did the right thing. This is yes. what we had to do. There was no choice here. Yes. What if I, I'm, you don't see my head nodding up and down, but I remember reading that story. That man is enormously powerful and how inspirational. But here's the thing that's really interesting. In my old psych ed days way back when, we were told that conscience comes first and then comes heart. Now we know it's the reverse. First, you look at somebody, you get charged with it, you go, oh my gosh, and your empathy sets in, and then a lot of times that's how you act, and your, your actions go that way. But watching a movie like that certainly is powerful. Or maybe the neighbor next door is an inbound neighbor. Make one more extra batch of cookies once a week and have your child bring it over to them. Or Skype with Grandma. Don't just text or talk, Skype. But as you do, take two seconds before and go, how do you think Grandma's going to be feeling today? Well, watch your face and you'll know a little better. It's just subtle little things to help your child tune in a little closer. And what will happen is the emotional literacy will open up, and then you'll just have more practice routine opportunities. Maybe it's just keeping a box by your front door so that there is a gently used toy or a gently used book. To just, to just put it there. And then once a month, let's as a family, not you, mom or dad, as a family, let's go take it to uh, someone so that they can be appreciative of it. It's that face-to-face connection that gives you that what's called a helper's high. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. When you do that and you see the response of someone who is so grateful for you, you can't not stop doing it again. It's the best yeah. source of happiness. Where What we've done is try to give our kids happiness. When in reality, the best, the new research says, uh-uh, it's got to come from the inside out. And when your child does something for others, there is no better, more wonderful thing that opens up your child's heart. Well, I'm getting them involved in the decisions about these things, too. I think it's great for parents to take their kids to whatever sorts of activities we think would be great for them. But, I, for example, like I get a ton of toys in here to, to review, and I do a, a newspaper column that's just nothing but toy reviews and do a seal of approval program, so lots and lots of stuff. And I, every, every couple of months, because there's that much of it, I talk to my daughter, 
and say, what do you want to do with these things? You know, now that we've had a chance to play with them, or sometimes we get two mm-hmm. of them and they're totally brand new. And so there are some churches in the neighborhood that we donate toys to, and there's some uh, organizations for for you know young kids who don't have a lot of money and I mean thrift stores for cancer patients and you know we we donate stuff all over the place and she's involved in this I mean this is her choice I don't care I mean I would like it to go someplace to somebody who doesn't you know somebody who needs it but uh, as opposed to those of us who don't need it really Uh, you know so that it's getting her involved I think makes her feel good and I can see it in her face it's really empowering isn't it and you said the wonderful word with (laughs) <laughs> we're doing it together. It becomes an amazing memory. So many of the change makers I talked to, all of them said uh, one thing that I think is really important. A lot of times we get our kids involved in something because too often it's going to look good on a college Ivy League yeah, yeah. You know, letter. But the best thing that I just found is that kids said, oh, no, my mom just watched me and she knew that I was really concerned about that homeless man and so she asked me what do you want to do about it they sat and they brainstormed together and then the parents supported the child's passion well that's where you really get efficacy competence opening the doors up Michelle Borba is the author of Unselfie Why Empathetic Kids Succeed in Our All About Me World Michelle always a delight thanks very much you are so welcome thank you I'm four years old, and I'm the only one in my whole class that can tie his own shoes. My mom took me to the circus for my birthday. Half my friends already went, but now I've gone too. Most kids make fun of me because I still believe in the tooth fairy. But I got five bucks yesterday, I believe. A third of the kids in my eighth grade class drink alcohol regularly. Over 99% of my class has been offered illegal drugs. Half of my college classmates binge drink, abuse drugs, or do both. But the frequent dinners I had with my family have helped make sure I'm not one of them. Go to CasaFamilyDay.org, take the Family Day Pledge, and get tips on how to talk to your kids about drugs and alcohol. Have dinner with them often, and you can significantly lower their risk of substance abuse. Dinner makes a difference. A message from the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse at Columbia University. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. You know, I want to jump right into today's Ask Mr. Dad segment because it deals with something that I'm constantly hearing other people do. Dear Mr. Dad, I'm sick and tired of hearing parents tell their kids that they're awesome or amazing or incredible. The fact is that most kids aren't any of those things. I'm wondering whether we're doing damage to our society with our nonstop praise. What's your take on this? You know, I could not agree with you more. We live in an era where we give kids trophies for showing up regardless of how well they play. And we rave about everything they do, whether it's rave-worthy or not. And in most cases, honestly, it's really not. It all started a few decades ago with some very well-intentioned mental health professionals who told us that low self-esteem was the root of all problems. In the mid-1980s, the state of California did a very expensive report on self-esteem that summed this up quite nicely. Quote, Lack of self-esteem is central to most personal and social ills plaguing our state and nation as we approach the end of the 20th century. The solution, suggested by those same mental health professionals, was to make people, especially kids, feel good about themselves. So we started praising our children more than our parents of previous generations did. Over time, that praise ballooned into worship, and the results have not been pretty. 
The first casualty, I think, was the English language, honestly, which lost the use of perfectly good words like awesome, which no longer means what people think it does. Does my asking for extra pickles, I often wonder about this, on my sandwich really rate totally awesome from the guy who's making the sandwich? But the true victims of our excessive praise have been our children. Study after study has found that too much praise does exactly the opposite of what we hope. It reduces children's self-esteem, lowers their motivation, and discourages them from taking risks, challenging themselves, and trying new things. Two types of praise. Inflated praise, that is, the most amazing drawing I've ever seen, and personal praise, you're awesome, are especially likely to backfire, according to Eddie Brummelman, who's a researcher at the University of Amsterdam. And the lower the kid's self-esteem to begin with, the worse the results. Here's how it works. Our kids aren't idiots. They know perfectly well that you're lying when you say that's the most amazing drawing I've ever seen. But they don't want to disappoint you. So the next time they have a chance to try something new, they'll opt for something easy. If they end up failing, they'll feel much worse about themselves than kids who receive what's called process praise, which focuses on the work a child puts in rather than the outcome. For example, wow, you got an A, you really worked hard on that, versus, wow, you got an A, you are incredibly smart. Unfortunately, as a culture, we have a tendency to value what we see as natural ability over hard work. Most schools, for example, have programs for gifted and talented kids. But according to Stanford mathematics professor Joe Bowler, labeling of students as gifted hurts not only the students who are deemed as having no gifts, but also the students who are given the gifted label. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not saying we should never praise our kids. Of course we should. But that praise needs to be sincere and focus on things they can change, things like hard work, for example, instead of abstract qualities like intelligence that they can't change. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.